This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back, everybody, to a special edition of Browns Film Breakdown where we get to recap what is an exciting 28-16 Browns win. I'm your host, Jake Burns, writer for the OBR and Cleveland.com. We're going to jump in, recap all that we can about a glorious Sunday afternoon at First Energy Stadium. But before we get there, I want to talk to you guys about some other opportunities across the NFL as Blue Wire expands its coverage. If you have an itch to figure out what's going on with other teams across the NFL, there are awesome opportunities. The 49ers are covered on the Kevin Jones podcast. The Raiders covered in Ted Wynn's Coffee House Stunt podcast recently expanded to the Burgundy blog, which covers the Redskins, and now the Run Pass Opinion, which will cover the Tennessee Titans. So pay attention to Blue Wire Podcast Network covering NFL teams across the league. If you're interested, jump in. But without waiting any longer, let's uh, let's talk about the Browns' win on Sunday, 28-16, as I mentioned earlier. Big win for the Browns. I would say it was their most dominant performance I have seen, uh, certainly at First Energy Stadium from this group from beginning to end since 2015 when they uh, were able to beat the 49ers late in that season, all the way back when Johnny Manziel and, uh, was anchoring the quarterback position. I say anchoring loosely. John Filippo as the offensive coordinator seems like a lifetime ago. But yet, here we are uh, Sunday. Let's focus on the positive, and, and there was plenty to be positive about on Sunday. We'll start with the offense. Uh, you know, second game for Freddie Kitchens calling the offense, and it was really just an overall efficient machine, led by Baker Mayfield's best performance as a pro. Finished the game 17 of 20, 216 yards, three touchdowns, a 151.3 passer rating. You guys have heard plenty of the stats by this point in the week. Uh, that number is the best number ever put up by an NFL rookie as far as passer rating goes with a minimum of 20 attempts, which is pretty significant when you consider the Browns' history at quarterback. Mayfield is once again up for an award. He's won several times this year already, the Pepsi Rookie of the Week award, alongside the other dominant performer, which was Nick Chubb, who ran 20 times, 176 yards and a touchdown obviously had the franchise setting 92 yard touchdown run just a really impactful performance from him obviously and you can see this backfield duo between Mayfield and Chubb really taking off it's it's going to be up there if the two can continue their pace and Mayfield can find a way to eclipse 3,000 yards by the end of the year and Chubb is already in the top 10 in rushing rushing yards if the two can eclipse uh, as I said Mayfield getting over 3,000 and Chubb getting over 1,000 there's conversation that they might have the best rookie tandem duo uh, you know, just just in total season in the history of the league. Now, there are the 2012 Redskins that put up a really dynamic year between Alfred Morris and Robert Griffin III, and there are some others that will challenge them there. But between Chubb and, and Mayfield not starting and being impactful players at the very beginning of the season and really not coming into their own until Mayfield Week 3 and Chubb after the trade before the Tampa Bay game, I believe, which is Week 6, they're really making up ground quickly. So that's great to see, obviously. Duke Johnson made his impact as well. Only ran three times for 15 yards, but 
did have uh, a, a, a touchdown catch, had four catches, 31 yards, and a touchdown that, that touchdown to put the Browns up 21-10 on the sort of settle over the middle was really great to see. Uh, and just, an, you know, an effective game where he gets the ball enough to, to manipulate defenses into noticing where he is every time he touches the field. Um, you know, continuing on I, I, and, and really circling back to Mayfield, I wrote a piece for Cleveland.com just yesterday. Uh, touching on his ability to use the check down and, and Nick Chubb also had three catches for 33 yards so when you get seven catches for right around 64 yards and two touchdowns between your you know receiving duo in the backfield and, and and you know you add on top of that nearly 200 yards between the two rushing the football it's a pretty special you know game for the entire offensive backfield in general and that's what led to Mayfield's efficiency number completing 17 of 20 85 percent Really unheard of for a rookie to put up that kind of performance. And if you're watching the game, late in the game, the Browns took their foot off the pedal after Chubb's 92-yard touchdown. It was it was sort of just a, uh, you know, it's 28-10 at that point. The Browns are just trying to play that conservative nature. They didn't, didn't under Freddie Kitchens, they really didn't push the ball downfield anymore at that point. I'm not even sure they attempted more than three passes the rest of the game. They attempted one out of the goal line on their one-yard line. But not many more than, than two or three passes. Is they really just wanted to ice that clock and make Atlanta work and they did that uh, effectively on the defensive side of the football. But other other standouts, so we saw that Antonio Callaway played a pretty good game, uh, graded out one of his best pro football focus scores. Rashad Perriman had two catches, 33 yards, felt his impact early in the game, ran a, a deep out route that had a nice completion uh, for a first down, then ran a slant that he turned into a 17-yard gain. And he's just starting to really look comfortable. Not sure what his longevity will be with the franchise, but if he can create some separation on the outside, catch balls in the middle of the field and make somebody miss and gain some yardage out of it, you know, the, the, there's going to be a value for him here going forward. Jarvis Landry, just two catches, 22 yards, sort of quiet, has fallen off a little bit of late. Not entirely sure why. I just think it's opportunity sometimes. A lot of, I think, two or three of the – of the three total uh, incompletions from Mayfield were headed towards Landry. And, and, and that's going to be a case study for, for how the Browns are using him and, and what's going on with his target usage. Still in line for a pretty good season, but we, we would like to see him producing more than, than 22 yards in any individual game. David Njoku had one catch, 18 yards, uh, really only targeted once, uh, had a nice catch on a dig route over the middle where Mayfield threw with nice anticipation, put it on him. He, uh, he made a nice catch there, sort of slowing down as the ball framed into his stomach, made a nice grab. I think Baker missed him on an opportunity on a slip screen. The Browns sell that slip screen with, with verticals off of it, and uh, Najoku ran a little angle route that I thought he had a, a chance to score a touchdown on, but Mayfield missed him through an incomplete, incompletion up the right sideline and then came back a couple plays later, found Duke Johnson for that check down touchdown. But nonetheless, um, you know, Najoku – the targets weren't there, I think, and that plays in large part to the fact that Browns took their foot off the pedal late in the game. But up front, a pretty good game. The tackles didn't play as well as I would hope they would. Uh, Greg Robinson was, for the most part, fine once again at left tackle. Had one slip up where he allowed uh, Baker to be cleanly hit off his blind side and caused a forced fumble when he missed uh, coming around the edge. Missed his man and allowed, like I said, Baker was he separated his hands to make a throw at that time caused a, a fumble there that that one's negatively graded but for the most part Robinson was solid Hubbard up and down in the run game but good enough to get a win interior wise Betonio Treader and Kevin Zeitler 
have continued their really strong play, and those guys are, are finding a rhythm, and there's no doubt that the Browns feel good about their guard center guard situation going forward. Defensively, Jamie Collins led the group with eight tackles, thought he played one of his better games on Sunday, but the highlight was having middle linebacker, leader of the defense, Joe Schobert back, played really effective football, graded over the 90s, which is tough to do in pro football focus. He's the leader of the defense. Dustin Fox tweeted out he's the heart and soul. I, I couldn't agree more. He was really effective. Tanner Vallejo, obviously taking over for Christian Kirksey's role, played one of uh, you know one of the more impactful linebacker games I've seen from the outside linebacker position this year. He is another name to pay attention to as somebody who probably has a long-term future here with the Browns. TJ Carey in the slot was is matched up far too often than we would have felt comfortable with with Julio Jones. But he really, for the most part, played Julio pretty soundly. Did a nice job keeping those big plays at a limit and really effective, I thought, late in the game, making Atlanta work for everything that they uh, were able to accomplish. As they, as they, the, the drives were never really quick hitters. They had to chip away slowly to get down the field and make anything worthwhile, and that took a lot of clock off the game late in the third quarter and then late in the fourth quarter as well. So that was, you know, obviously from the Browns who play that bend but don't break defense where they try to be uh, – turnover crazy which Kerry did cause a forced fumble that gave the Browns that that possession that put them up 21-10 just really TJ Kerry's best game in a Browns uniform I thought Brian Body Calhoun played really well they moving him around a lot obviously uh, played some slot played some nickel played some safety uh, was effective again effective enough that you can feel comfortable playing him there, keeping him out of man-to-man situations is paramount. And then up front, the name that stood out to us was Anthony Zettel. Um, three tackles. Didn't really record a sack, but he did have a sack on the two-point conversion try after Atlanta made it 28-16, kept them out of the uh, – uh, end zone there to keep it away from being a 10-point game. Was really effective. Disrupted things when he got snaps. He was up around the 25 snap mark, which is good to see, obviously. And uh, was effective when the Browns decided this week that they were going to uh, give the second unit more snaps. Uh, you know, Miles Garrett, Larry Ogunjobi, the guys who are staples up front, have been playing a little bit too much. You think most people would tell you that they've been playing quite a bit too much. Um, and it was really good to see Greg Williams listen to his players as he reported, give his guys an opportunity to catch a break a little bit more and give those opportunities to Chris Smith and Anthony Zettel who who found a way to get things done as Chris Smith had the game-sealing sack before Zettel popped it free from alignment trying to recover and Jamie Collins you know, recovered it. So the Browns, you know, they gave up some yards. Uh, they gave up 330 passing yards and a couple touchdowns, but that line doesn't tell you how well they played. I thought they, they made things difficult on Matt Ryan all day. Ryan never really felt comfortable or had a groove going. They limited the running game. Tevin Coleman had 11 carries for 44 yards. Ito Smith had four carries for 11, nothing overly effective. Coverage-wise, the Browns did a nice job keeping Denzel Ward on Calvin Ridley, the rookie out of Alabama, as much as possible. I thought Ward played a pretty sound football game, keeping Ridley out of effectiveness. Ridley had one late catch that he turned into some yards, three catches, 37 yards total. Julio Jones had seven for 107 and a touchdown, but it it really never felt like Julio was getting loose in the secondary. It was usually, like I said, those chip plays that take a lot of time off the clock, and when the Browns jump up like they do, that doesn't really hurt you that much. So it was it was just a really sound football game altogether. You know, penalties were on the lower side of, of of that number that they have seen all year, especially under former head coach Hugh Jackson. That was the best special teams collective effort we've seen in kickoff. 
punt team, punt return. They covered well in punt team. The punt return was sound and keeping gunners off of uh, Jabril Peppers making plays uh, in the return game. No big plays, but just sound, no penalties, and that's something the Browns need to. They need to play games where the special teams doesn't hurt them. They're not getting enough of that. So that was good to see. And really, you know, when you step back and analyze things holistically between, uh, you know, the entire output of this game, how it felt, Never felt like the Browns were out of control. They went into halftime, put a nice drive together before half to go at 14-10. You come out, get that turnover, go down and score, force a punt by Atlanta. All of a sudden, you get a 92-yard huge run on second down. It's 28-10, and at that point, you're just icing the game, and they did an effective enough job icing the game. The goal line stand late in the third quarter into the fourth quarter was really awesome. Had the, had the obviously, the home fan base jumping, popping at the time. It was a nice play by... Um, Jabril Peppers keeping Tevin Coleman out of the end zone and then you had a couple nice plays on third and fourth down by Joe Schobert to sort of seal that and that keeps the game out of reach so uh, I'll say it again just a really good outlook in terms of where this team is going uh, Greg Williams has done a nice job taking over a role that I don't think he expected uh, has, has done a nice job uh, grooming Freddie Kitchens in the offensive coordinator role that he was never really accustomed to, and it just feels like a different team. I'm not here to say that this coaching staff is going to be here long term, but it is nice to see what competent coaching can do for a roster that has some talent. And before we really dig into what the coaching staff is doing, both the previous group and this current group with our guests today, I want to talk to you about an opportunity with my bookie. Guys, I've talked to you about MyBookie before, and there really is no better time to jump in. Every single sport is popping right now. Obviously, you have the NFL running, the NBA's in full swing, college basketball's stepping into its stride, the NHL is running. There's no better time to get in with MyBookie. You know me. You know I like to talk about lines, like to talk about props, different ways that you can make some money, put some uh, easy money into your pocket. MyBookie gives you that opportunity. Sign up with MyBookie this week. They'll give you a 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart that bankroll. It's a great way to get even more money every time you win. Also, guys, make sure to follow at BetMyBookie on Twitter. They'll personally respond to every mention, every DM, give you any insight they can with any question you have, and they're a great follow for all the props that are posted quickly during football season so don't miss out on the opportunity guys log on to my bookie right now use the promo code blue wire and get that 50 percent deposit bonus again that's the promo code blue wire my bookie you play you win you get paid all right guys lucky enough to welcome in doug Maurice here uh the, the name you guys are familiar with from cleveland.com sports columnist obviously lead buckeye writer dabbles in the browns uh, in my opinion one of the best writers on the browns when he gets time to jump over into that side of things doug how you doing buddy i'm doing great jake how are you man i can't complain I can't complain we're coming off a rare win going into a bye week so you know it's good yeah. good time good feeling so yeah i mean coming coming into the bye week and sort of coming off of what is uh, a really exciting win, one of the better wins we've seen from the Browns in quite some time. I probably couldn't, maybe the 2015 49ers game, one of the few games I've been at, uh, at, at First Energy Stadium where they sort of controlled the game throughout. And and uh, it just seems like a different team. So the, the topic I really want to talk with you about is upon Hugh Jackson's firing, I think you wrote some of the more elegant, well-thought-out pieces about what happened with Hugh, where he dropped the ball, um, just sort of the the holistic view of how things shook down and why things shook down the way they did. So I want to ask you sort of the, the big question on my mind is, is, is do you think what happened to Hugh Jackson or how it shook out, how he was brought into year three, was it, was it fair? Was it handled the correct way? 
I think if you if you fired him at this point in the middle of the year, I think it, it on some level proves that you should not have brought him back, right? And I do think it felt like the Haslam's thought it might have been unfair for a one in thirty one guy who everybody knows the roster um, wasn't necessarily built to compete to to hang that on him and not give him a chance with more talent. I they thought that would be unfair. Like the world's unfair. I thought it, it, he did a bad job for two years. Even without great talent, he still could do a bad job. So I thought it would have been very natural to not bring him back. So to pull the plug this quick, I, I think it shows that it was kind of a mistake. And, and, and I once he came back, I said, I'm not going to spend a lot of time this year writing, he should be fired, he should be fired, he should be fired. Because really – there was almost no way he was going to come back next year. So what's the big deal if he's fired in the middle of the year or not? So I, I, I thought it was fine. I thought, you know, I would have not brought him back, but once they did, I was ready to ride out the year with him. And I'll say this, Jake, before I stop rambling, I think on some level I was wrong because I wasn't super wound up to fire him in the middle of the year, but just the basic level of competence, that we've seen for the past two games. It's not people I think are getting confused and thinking Greg Williams and Freddie Kitchens are doing a great job. They're not doing a great job. They're just being normal, competent coaches. And Haley and Hugh had driven them so far into the ditch. Now you're seeing how bad they were by these guys being competent now. So I was okay with letting Hugh ride it out this year. But now that he's gone, I think these last two games have been proof that getting rid of him now was absolutely the right thing to do. Yeah, I think that there certainly is going to be the call for Greg Williams to maintain this job from folks. Is There are opportunities to win football games. Do you think, Doug, that it is feasible that Greg Williams maintain? Is there a world? Let me ask you this. It's easy to just say no. Say say somehow the Browns win five games, end up with eight wins, four, four, four or five, seven, eight wins. Is there a world in which Greg Williams is retained? I hope not. I hope the Browns do not become prisoners of the moment. And I will compare it because I covered it to the 2011 season when Luke Fickle was the interim coach at Ohio State. I said Luke Fickle could go 12-0 and and win the national championship at Ohio State and hiring Urban Meyer would still have been the right move. I don't care what Greg Williams can do. We know what Greg Williams has been in the NFL. We know what he's been as the head coach. People are going to want this job. And if the Browns allow prisoner of the moment, oh, my God, we look competitive. We're so fired up. Let's keep this staff intact. If they allow that thinking to enter their thought process, I think it would be a major mistake for the Browns because what they have done in building this roster in building this young defense, in acquiring a franchise quarterback like Baker Mayfield, you have made this an attractive job that good people will want this job. And if you can get Lincoln Riley or you can get John Harbaugh or you can get somebody, I don't care what Greg Williams does. And that's why, honestly, I'm not going to write a word about Greg Williams or Freddie Kitchens this whole season because I don't care because they're not going to be here. They shouldn't be here. I'm going to focus on the players, and I'm going to focus on the very good candidates that they should have for this job, and I hope they don't fall in love with competence because at the moment what you're seeing is just proof of how bad it was before, 
it is not proof that Greg Williams should keep this job long term. Yeah, it's a dangerous trap because when you watch, you know, this win Sunday and you watch how social media interacts with the Browns, and they do a really good job putting out production from a team standpoint of the players really being uh, jovial and really enjoying themselves around Greg Williams, that you get the vibe that if they win more games, that this idea is just sort of hovering there. You can see John Dorsey in the picture in the background in the locker room as they're celebrating. So it's a question I think that is, if they do find a way to keep winning games, it is going to keep creeping up. Um, and I'll, I'll ask you two-part question, um, because I think you touched on two really good things there, and, and, and I, I think I know where you're going to answer, but I'll ask them anyway. Do you prefer Greg Williams' return in any aspect? Do you prefer the continuity that he has provided this defense, improving from year one to year two? And then should cleaning house happen, who do you have your eye on head coach and can't I know it's super early I don't like playing this game all too much but it's just you know if you from from somebody who hasn't you know maybe you haven't dug in as deep as you'd like to dig in yet but the names that are floating out there the DeFilippos the Jim Schwartz the Matt Campbell's the the Lincoln Riley's those names Matt LaFleur who who do you have your eye on so I'll, I'll leave that to you so so I will say um I mean with Fred Williams and I think you get in dangerous territory here right because honestly <laughs> Like, and I think I wrote this along the way at some point. Like, I think Hugh Jackson might have been a fine offensive coordinator for the Browns. He just was a bad head coach. And so I don't want the Browns, again, to fall in love with the coordinator to be their head coach when it's a guy who, who really maybe is more situated to be a coordinator. And I don't think you can just eliminate the bounty gate stuff with Greg Williams as a long-term hire either. Um, so I'd be fine if the new head coach wants to keep Greg Williams as a defensive coordinator, I'm fine with that. Let's just not keep promoting people who don't deserve to be promoted. But also, I remember just a few weeks ago when people were you know, asking why Greg Williams was blitzing when teams were throwing screens, and they've ridden Miles Garrett and Larry Ogunjobi into the ground, and they finally started playing the backup line for the first time last week. And people had a lot of questions about the way Greg Williams was using this defense. So, again... That's fine, but I also would not be committed to Greg Williams. Like, let the new coach do what he wants to do. Um, all I want for a head coaching search is a wide net, and I want them to be open to the idea of being blown away. And I talked to a Rams writer for my podcast a couple weeks ago who talked about the process the Rams went through with Sean McVay, and the whole point is there. They didn't target Sean McVay. They talked to Sean McVay, and Sean McVay blew him away. Mike Tomlin got the Steelers' job because they talked to Mike Tomlin, and he blew him away. Be blown away by the next smart, young head coach that's going to change this league and wants to come to Cleveland. So maybe that's Lincoln Riley. Maybe it's John Filippo. Maybe it's a recycled guy like John Harbaugh. There's a lot of different categories you could look for, but cast a wide net because you have suddenly created a franchise. Yes, the Haslam's are still the owners. But if John Dorsey is running this search, as Mary Kay Cabot has reported, he's a respected NFL guy. This is a real roster. Let's finally let the Browns work for you. Let's draw good candidates and not limit ourselves and not be tunnel-visioned, wide net, a variety of guys. And if you do that, I'm not going to get locked into, oh, I can't believe they didn't hire the guy I like. If you do that, just like with the quarterbacks in that draft class, Jake, 
I wasn't necessarily committed to anybody, but evaluate the quarterback at number one that you want and take him. Mm -hmm. So if it was Sam Darnold, great. If it was Josh Rosen, great. I didn't want Josh Allen. If it's Baker, great. I'll trust your evaluation. So I don't know who it's going to be, but this is a good crop that you should choose from. Guys will want this job. Be open-minded, make your evaluation, and go get your number one choice. Yeah, great analysis, man. I think I think that they're going to have to lean on as you as you said what Mary Kay reported that John Dorsey's going to have a heavy influence on that pick and and a guy that you brought in to to build a plan and a guy that they seem to trust wholeheartedly. I would I would hope that they would listen to his recommendation for for writing this ship. Not to say John Dorsey isn't without flaw, but he he has a I I would any day of the week trust him to make this higher over over the uh, other other choices to make that decision. So I am with you on that. And the last thing I'll, I'll let you go here, but the last question is the, the sort of popular topic here, the past few days, Hugh Jackson going to Cincinnati is, is this something that you have a problem with a, and, and did you expect this sort of outcome? How did Hugh Jackson handle the process upon being fired? Did you have a problem with it? It is it what you expected uh, rival in Cincinnati come with an expectation. How does that make you feel with two Browns games left on the schedule? Yeah, so I mean, like I predicted in, in the column I wrote when I ripped him the day he was fired that I knew he was going to go search for outlets to state his case and to make excuses. And he did it. He didn't just do it once. He did it multiple times. Yeah, It's who he is. And everybody who covers the Browns on a daily basis, and I don't, but they're all laughing. They, they knew he was going to wind. You would, it's like a thing you would predict. Oh, what's he going to do? Wind up on Cincinnati staff this year? It's like, yeah, Marvin Lewis fired a guy to get him in there. So it, it, it's Hugh Jackson, and this is fine. Lots of people are like this. Hugh Jackson is about Hugh. And right now it's fine to be about Hugh. So if he wants to go work for the Bengals, fine. He needs a job. I get it. If he wants to go beyond do interviews, that's Hugh. But the problem is that when he was employed by the Cleveland Browns, Hugh was about Hugh. Hugh was panicked about his record. He wasn't thinking long-term. Hugh was panicked about making sure others were blamed. Hugh was panicked about making sure he won power struggles. Hugh has always been about Hugh. So you know what? If he's not ruining the Browns while he's being about Hugh, I don't care what he does. Go on every TV show in the world work for the Bengals, give him all the Brown secrets. It doesn't matter because he's gone. And finally, if Hugh wants to be about Hugh, do it somewhere else. But all of this is 0% surprising given how he's conducted his business in the past. Yeah, spot on. I think that it acted, sort of played out as we thought it would play out, and you did a great job of, of presenting with you know the folks with the idea of of how he would handle it, and it is it is going to be very interesting to see how Cincinnati handles that dynamic going forward with what seems to be a dwindling career of Marvin Lewis. So it'll all clear itself up in due time as the year dwindles down. We know more about candidates. You only get limited information as as the season wears on, and coaches can only say so much. But if you guys get a chance, if you already listen to me or read what I'm doing, you obviously read what Doug is writing. He's gonna he's gonna put out more Browns content here in the near future, especially as this topic heats up so find his work at cleveland.com some of the best out there doug thanks for joining me man thanks for having me jake you got it 
So it's well known now that the Browns are getting much of the week off heading into the bye week, a much-needed bye week to get guys healthy. Been a long first half of the season with these four overtime games. Obviously, the tumultuous issues in the front office and the coaching staff, as we just talked about with Doug. And the Browns really need this time to rest, recoup, and get ready for what's going to be an opportunity in the second half to win some football games. Uh, Very winnable games, like I said, on the schedule. A couple games with Cincinnati, the Ravens are reeling, so on and so forth. So it'll be paramount for the Browns to get healthy, get some guys back to full strength, and continue to grow as a group. And try to string as many wins as possible together because there is an outside shot for the word playoffs if the group continues to string a lot of wins together. And really in the NFL, anything can happen, guys. So I want to thank once again Doug Maurice who came on with me at short notice. I do have some exciting guests lined up for us. I hope to get on more than once a week, hopefully give us some insight into what's going to be an interesting second half of the season, the coaching search, the dynamics happening in the front office, who's going to be responsible for the hire, what kind of guy they're looking for in that hire, so on and so forth. So stick with me, guys. I once again want to thank everybody for listening in. Jump on to iTunes, give us a review. Five stars are always appreciated. And if you guys aren't already subscribed, please do so. It'll keep you up to date with all the content that we put out here on Brown's Film Breakdown. So as usual, guys, we will be coming back to you soon. Until then, go Browns. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.